Okay, guys, we're back again. Um, another long time away, but we're back with another episode today. No Ball Games podcast. No Ball Games podcast. Yeah, I said it twice because we're back again. Um, we've got the boys with us. We've got Mr. Gary. Big up yourself, Gary. Evening, guys. Glad to be back. Lockdown doesn't affect us, really. Here we are. Let's go. <laughs> uh, we've got Mr. Charles. What's happening? What's happening, guys? It's been a long time, but glad to be back. And we've got real one. We saying, cuz. Yo, how you doing, guys? Glad to cool. be back. You, you don't seem happy, real one. What's going on, man? Like, <laughs> oh, go on. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, anyway, we've got a very, very special guest today. Um, continuing of getting a guest in. So, on the last episode, we had um, Femi Lasami, um, football club. Um, but this episode, funny enough, is also another local guy from Peckham. Um, we've got Bobby Kasanga. Big up. Hey, shit, man. What's going on, guys? Hey. Yeah. Cool. I, I heard the one okay. clap there, but that would do. That would do. <laughs> 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 All right, cool. So, yeah, Bob. So, um, you are the big brother of our good friend. Um, um, how do you say his name? I don't know. Um, I guess you Yeah, can. why not? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Our good friend, Jovis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you're from the, the era as well. We've seen that everyone we've got on the podcast, I've ever been from Southwark or been from Peckham. Um, so, yeah. in the, the, the theme. So, pick up yourself. We'll start branching out soon. Start branching out soon. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? Lose some next year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we well, need to have a word with the recruiters, fam. <laughs> <laughs> right, cool. So, yeah, this, this yeah. episode, Bobby. So, the reason why we got you involved is because you have another great story coming out of the of the area or the quote unquote the end. Um and then you you change your life around to to become who you are now. I'm, I saw on Instagram like you're doing like, a thousand interviews every day. Like so you're you're hot at the moment. So ah, it's uh, crazy. It's crazy at the moment. Yeah man. Yeah. My missus my missus telling me to start charging so you guys are lucky Javez's friends. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you're not supporting black businesses. What's going on? <laughs> no, yeah, I'm supporting black businesses. Why not, man? My missus runs an organization called It's Black Owned.com. So, yeah, so we have to support black businesses, man. Okay, cool. What's that all about? Um, her basically, she started it last year, even the whole, before the whole Black Lives Matter movement. She just felt that there was a, a underrepresentation of sort of black businesses, which are sort of known. So she started doing a sort of a directory of prestige black businesses. So it couldn't just be any black business say, oh, I want to be on it. So she would try you out, test you out, check the material, check the services. And if she feel deemed you worthy, she'll put you on her site. <clears throat> okay, cool. That sounds nice. Yeah. Just, just quickly on that, Bobby, how, how big of a role has your missus played in terms of getting to where you are right now? Is it? Oh, massively, massively. I mean, she does my bloody head in all the time, but massively. <laughs> and I think sometimes with men, we prefer easy rides sometimes. You prefer the girl that doesn't say nothing, the girl that's quiet, but that's not really helping. You need a girl that's going to give you the head in, that's going to challenge you. Because I think that if she weren't challenged me the way she was, I'll probably just continue doing what I was doing. But and because she was yeah. someone that's sort of high flying, I didn't want to sort of not bring myself to the table at that level as well. So I didn't want to go and do crime. So it was a thing that way. It was a motivation for me. So she's been massive influence. Yeah, ah, you hear that, guys? Get you an intelligent missus. Bobby, at what stage of the whole process of, not process, but um, inception of the club and stuff, had you met her before then or had you met her after? No, no, I met, her, I met her a year after I started the club, but that, that's when we were still at amateur club. We were just a, uh, a Saturday um, 
afternoon club, basically. And she okay. and helped you drive it forward, basically, yeah? Yeah, basically, yeah. Right, okay. And, um, do you, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe jumping. I'll, I'll let Charles step back, back in a bit, but I wanted to talk to you about some some delicate issues in terms of what's perceived to be grassroots football. Like, because I, I think um, coaches should be paid you know, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, one sec, so guys, let's let's backtrack a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. and then, so, so, Bobby, so you're from the ends, you're from Peckham, so tell us about you. What's your history? Where have you come from? What have you done? Um, so I grew up, grew up in Peckham, uh, yeah, um, so yeah, I grew up in Peckham, was part of the Peckham boys, as you was um, say, but I used to hang around more the Woolly Road side of it. And as you sort of grew up in that area, I was a talented footballer, like, I was really, really good. Uh, How did you get started in football first? Uh, uh. Um, in year year three, by chance, we scored Brunswick Park Primary School, and my mm. older brother was in the is in the team in year five, and they asked me he had to he had a, a, a training match at school, and me and him used to walk home together, and he I had to wait for him, but there was a player shoot, so he asked mm. me to play with him. The teacher asked me to play with him, and they thought, oh wait, man, this guy's pretty good. I was maybe seven or eight, so I, I don't even remember beforehand playing football before that. But literally, yeah. I had good agility. I was going past people. From then on, when I got to, um, from year three, I was in the year five team. In year six, I was playing for the year four team. So I always played for two years above me. So in year five, I got selected for the district team that was in year six. And then from then on, just continued playing, basically. What position did you play in? Those days, I was playing as a striker. Then I went to the midfield. It was always between a striker and midfield. Okay, okay. Yeah. From a young age, did you know you wanted to be a footballer? You wanted to play football? What was your? Oh yeah, hundred percent, massive. That's that's all I cared about. That's what I wanted to do. There was no ifs, buts, or maybe. Is I'm gonna be a pro footballer? I believed in my hype so much. I, I didn't even think anything else would happen. I just knew I'm gonna be a footballer. So, but they used to call you the Peckham Zidane, mm-hmm. <laughs> and as we know, I, I, to be fair, I used to look up to you in terms of footballing ability. I yeah. just always wondered why or what was the circumstances that you couldn't go to that next level and then... You know, yeah, you know the it... issue was, we had a teacher called Mr Underwood, who, yeah. who was the district manager for, um, for, the, for the sports academy in South London, basically. And he went on to go to... Uh, he left Brunswick Park. Funnily enough, he worked at Brunswick Park School. So to have the district manager working in your, in your school was brilliant. He left Brunswick Park and I went to Warwick Park in year seven. And then he went to go and teach at um, St. Thomas Apostle. I was meant to go to St. Thomas Apostle. Because my brother was at Warwick Park, I said, I'm going to go to Warwick Park. And Warwick Park was so slow that Mr. Charles for um, the district team in year seven. And then mm. by that time, I was playing for the school team. So I'm just thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm good. You're not even thinking to join a club or nothing. You're just thinking, okay, yeah, I'm going to get spotted soon. It's all right. It's all right. Then it gets to kind of year nine. I'm thinking, wait a minute, what's going on? I'm, I'm only playing for the school. I better start trying to play football again. That's when I signed for Fisher, and that Fisher was doing really, really well. I mean, they was talking about me, and then what happened? They got into a bit of money. They started getting lots of money. Fisher, um, there was Fisher Athletic at the time, and then they had a new chairman, new manager. They put all all this. I think Justin Enderberg became the first team manager. They pumped so much money into there, and then by this time, I got to like 16, 17. And then all of a sudden, there was no sort of pathway to the first team because they were paying players on big money. They was getting ex-pro. So I kind of got disillusioned with football at that time slowly. 
However, I got into passes at home and said, you know what, I'm going to move out. So I moved out, headed to East London. So at the age of 17, I'm trying to play football. I'm going to college. My college was in Richmond, so I had to travel all that far. I got a part-time um, working at Peacocks in Stepney, and I was trying to sell weed at the same time. So doing all of that at 17, wow. I couldn't go to every single training session. I couldn't go to every <laughs> single match. I couldn't go to. I couldn't even go to college sometimes. So I was trying to do all that at 17, and everything took its toll, and I started looking for the quick money. Yeah. Just, just a bit on that. I mean, you, you say you loved football from an early age, and you, that's all you wanted to do. What, uh, what? Can you point to a specific point where you said, oh, "I'm not really interested in football anymore"? And how was you sort of balancing that with, yeah? It wasn't. It wasn't even movement. not having an interest in football no more. It was basically not having the time to go to football because I was trying to do everything. I was mm. trying to pay my rent. I was trying to pay my Sky bill, trying to pay my phone bill, and doing all this at 17 was hard. So I'm thinking football's not paying me right now. So it wasn't a thing that way. Okay, I'm gonna dedicate myself to go to football. Door. And at that time, when I was 17, I should have really realized, wait a minute, time is pushing on. You're you're actually pushing it because people need you need to be at a club at this age. But in my head at that time, I was like, yeah, I just go and play semi pro and I'm gonna get spotted sooner or later. And then before you know it, at 18, everything just sort of stopped. Like there was no football for like a a year, a year and a half. And when things sort of settled down with me a little bit more, I thought, okay, I'm nearly 20 now. I need to get back into football. What the hell am I doing? And that's when I signed mm. for, um, at the time, Ilford doing the Ryman Division 1. So if you could go back, could you, what would you change for you to sort of, yeah, improve your chances of... I wouldn't have moved that at home. Yeah, I wouldn't have moved that at home. I would have stayed at home. I would have um, definitely not been so keen on the fast money because that's yeah. what I just teach young people now is that we want the fast money. We don't want to be patient. And the fast money to go and sell drugs, to go and do this, to go and do cashbox robberies is a thing that pushes us away from our dreams because we want the money now. Although if we had waited and just bided our time, it would have come eventually. But there's no patience in young people. So I would have changed, I would have changed my mentality in regards to what I wanted and what I needed at that time. To add on to that as well. So you mentioned obviously you wanted the fast life, but um, I, I don't know, obviously, I can't go into the fantasy of your family, but um, in that respect... Growing up, growing up in an area like you're, you, you don't have what other people have as well. So, do you think it was more, the, was more or less the fast life, or you wanted it because you didn't have it? Yeah, I think. I mean, we didn't go without. There was food in the house. We had clothes. So it's because I guess I wanted it. Also, because we didn't have, it's because I wanted it. I wanted the nice things. I always say girls always play a part because you want to impress the girls. The girls like the bad boys. So you want to be one of the bad boys. You want to have the jewels. You want to have the cars. You want to... And it's all about ego and trying to show off to the next guy to say, look, I've got this as well. And that's what it's all about, really. Okay, okay. Because we were speaking to um, uh, Mustafa Karyo, Muzza, on yeah. um, our first podcast. And then he he basically said that he got... He went Jeff Jewelser. So he was in the midst of the whole... The whole quote-unquote, the ends and... He, he, he knew he wants to make it. So what's the difference between Mustafa and yourself? I guess I was more easily influenced then. I was more easily influenced. And I guess I didn't get spotted at the time where I felt I got spotted. I mean, there's three or four people who I'll say were absolute ballers who I think should have gone far. Like Mustafa, okay, made it pro. He's one of them. Remain. Um, I've been he said Remain as well, funny enough. Yeah, he yeah, said Remain, he's the best player. Remain, was, yeah, the, was, Remain was the coldest. He was sick. And then um, 
there was Nietzsche, Dean Lodge. He was like, with me in the district teams. He went to QPR and then got released. And also I was in the same team as Cherno Samba. Me, me, Cherno and Dean Lodge all played in the same team in um, for the district. And he's another one that should have gone so far because he, he he was the, the, the best under-16 player in the whole country at one point. So I guess the difference sometimes is people getting spotted. And football is funny because you might not be the most talented, but you might be at the right place at the right time. You might have a yeah. worldy one day when a scout was watching and the best player in the team was maybe injured or didn't have the best game and you had a great game and you get spotted and then you're going to sign a contract. But football's a funny old thing, man. Do you think football is more about talent or hard work? So obviously there's a degree of talent, but is it more about hard work or natural talent? So, for example, someone like Zidane, um, could someone like Henderson ever get to Zidane's level, even though he hasn't got as much talent, if Zidane never got focused on football? I think it's both. I think it's definitely both. However, hard work does pay off. Gary Neville famously said that he wasn't the best player, but what he'd done was train hard to impress Alice Ferguson. He said he would run after training, he would make sure he's one of the fittest. And that's the thing, when a coach looks at that, you might be the most talented. We've seen it before. I'm, I'm seeing it myself. Cause I say, I might say I'm the Peckham Zidane, Peckham Zidane. The young people looking at me like, this guy's shit. <laughs> 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 You're definitely not that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm only 34, but sometimes I train and I can't keep up and I look rubbish and it's frustrating me. That's why lately, even if you guys see my gram, I'm trying to do five kilometers every single day. I'm trying to lose weight. But there's a game on the 5th of December, which is a cup game, and I'm signing myself out to play in that game because that's only a London Cup game. But for the FA Cup, FA Vars, and I don't get involved because my whole thing's about if it's a platform for the user, I can't go out there and start playing. But to answer your question, is that it was a bit of both, but you, you can be the fittest player and be absolutely trash, and there's no point in me having you. Because we've had players like that before who come to me, they'll run and do the whole bleep test, and you put them on a the football pitch, they don't know what they're doing. So yeah. I think there's a bit of balance. If you're skillful and you're, and, you're, and you're super talented, sometimes you get away with it. We've got a kid right now. This kid is remarkable. Like, yeah. honestly, his name is Gio. He's 21 years old. He just played Sunday football. He just started playing semi-pro football this year. And he creates a chance out of nothing. He's, but he loves football so much, he's going to injure himself because he played in the Sunday team as well. But Ryman team decided to come to him and say, look, we want to take this player. He said he doesn't want to go because I think his parents are kind of well off anyway, so he doesn't need the money and he just wants to play for the team because it's a local team and he knows the manager. But the guy is unfit. Yeah. <laughs> he back. Gio, are you hearing that? Get, get your 5K going on, man. <laughs> you don't track back, but the kid is so skillful. Put him put him in one-on-one. He, he creates... No word of a lie, I told the team the other day, he creates 80% of our chances. Mm. And without him, we kind of found out sometimes. And now he's, oh. he's he's messed himself up through injury. So it's killed us a bit. But he's a luxury player that you say, okay, just, just go and do your thing. We tell the left back, look, he's not going to come back. So you just need <laughs> to work and get one of the midfielders to cover you. But yeah, it's a bit of both. Just just on that, in terms of grassroots football, how much of a role do you think it plays in shaping a player's sort of ability to, I don't know, play with freedom and, and yeah, express themselves? Because we know growing up in, in the ends or something, you're always there to like show soldier skills and things like that, whereas academy, probably you might not be, you're more structured in a way. So I think it's, it's very... As a player. Yeah, it's, it's very... I think playing at this level is very rigid. And funnily enough, we're starting to get a lot of academy players who play on brilliant surfaces, who are being at pro clubs, and all of a sudden they've coming down to us where they're having to play 
sort of men's football for the first time. And they're just going to be a walkover because we're struggling in the league right now because our average age is about 21. And we're playing against men who are 29, 30, who ain't got the ability that these young people got, but they've got the know-how. So the thing is now playing grassroots football, you might have all the technical ability that gets thrown out the window. Because if a team's tactic, all they're doing is long ball and play for percentages all the time, you're not used to that. You're used to getting the ball, creating chances, trying to pop teams, but teams are not doing that. They win the ball and then a long ball over the top straight away. And then you're... You might win the first, but you're not picking the second. You're not picking on the thirds. You're not, these teams play for set pieces. So all like 80% of our goals are conceded via set pieces. And our young players are not understanding this. So grassroots football compared to academy football is so, so different. So your technical ability in terms of skills, you may only get like two or three chances to do that in a game. A lot mm. of times it is trying to play a different style of football and it try to adapt. Just to sort of circle back a little bit... Um... Talking about how you was growing up and obviously you mentioned you started to drift away from football a little bit, not not because you didn't love it, but just you had other things going on. How how far did you drift and also what made you sort of come back full circle? I mean, I drifted as far as going into prison and there was a point where I was um, arrested for murder. And it had nothing to do with me because of the circle I was keeping and the people I was around, I was seen, seen as one of the suspects. So that's as far as it went for me. I ended up spending eight years in prison. And those eight years wasn't always pleasant. For the majority, it wasn't pleasant, but I made the most of it. And what really sort of prompted me to start my own football club when I came out was in prison. There were some sick ballers, talented, like crazy. And I'd be like, wow, like, you should be playing higher up. They didn't know anything about semi-pro football. All they knew was that, oh, you have to be pro. Without pro, there's nothing else. I'm like, no, there's a whole load of levels behind after pro that you could be playing at. So that really galvanised me, really pushed me to start something when I came out. But yeah, I went all the way far out as into going to prison. And when you was in prison, sort of how seriously did you think about or where you'd be now in terms of, is this all in the plan or is it something that you just thought, I had an idea now? And I, I mean, I've always had kind of a plan of being successful, what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure exactly that I'll start a football team, but I was taking lessons from everything I was doing. I was also studying for a degree in criminology and social policy while I was in there. I started up a casino and a betting shop while I was in there. So I always had that entrepreneurial spirit in there. But like I mm. said, what really galvanized me was seeing all these young people who are so talented. They're like, you know what? These guys need a platform. And then also on the other end, seeing so many older people who is, oh, this is my third time in jail, this is my fourth time in jail, this is my tenth time in jail. And that really put me off. I had a daughter that was born and I was like, you know what? I can't be one of these guys that's going in and out of jail. I've always been quite intelligent. I was in a top city in school in Warwick Park. Um, it's not like I'm someone that's dumb, that can't read or can't write, who hasn't got education. So what am I doing? Am I not clever enough to start something on my own? And that's when the sort of the mindset changed. Well, what how was the did process, you like? Oh, sorry, yeah, what was the process, ahead, like, starting the club? Like, you just had the idea. How's how is it acquiring funding? How was the process? Oh, funding, funding's always been difficult. It's still something that we struggle with now. But I literally um, went to a local park. I saw some guys playing football. They look wicked. I was like, yo. Where you guys play? They're like, oh, we've been released from this club, that club. I'm like, there's no club locally. They're like, no, I'm like, look, I'm going to start a club, guys. They all laughed at me. I'm like, no, I'm going to start a club, trust me. So literally, I went home and I started the Hackney with Football Club as a local team in the area. And I realised that Hackney didn't have its own semi-pro club. So I was like, you know, I'm going to start a semi-pro team. 
that's like doing all the research in regards to how much where you need to start. So I knew where to start, like the 12th division of British football in the Middlesex County Division One. So I knew what the costs were. I think it was be like five or six grand to start the club. I remember I even posted, I made a post on YouTube, so on um, Facebook and on LinkedIn telling people, look, guys, at this point, I don't even think I had Instagram. I said, guys, I want to start a football club, you know. Um, obviously, people are sceptical. This guy just come out of jail telling us I want to start a football club. I was like, <laughs> look, I need directors, I need sponsors, I need players. And only a handful of people responded and said, like, look, I want to be a player. And... Uh, cool, we're going to make it work. So I went on Twitter, started the Twitter handle, called it Hackney Wick. We didn't have a badge, so I used the Hackney Wick train station logo as our badge. Mm-hmm. And literally, I would work every single day, four or five hours a day on the football club. So I'll wake up in the morning, I'll search Hackney Wick on Twitter. Whatever came up on Hackney Wick, be it someone said, oh, I'm walking past Hackney Wick, I'll follow that person and tweet them, Hackney Wick FC coming soon. Someone got a bio, they live in Hackney Wick. I'll follow them and say, look, Hackney Wick FC coming soon. So people start getting excited. Oh, there's a Hackney Wick coming. So I'll literally send up about 200, 300 messages a day. People got tired of me. Some people probably blocked me saying, this guy was bloody Hackney Wick. <laughs> that sort of built up the momentum for it for the local people. And then a lady called Rana Brightman, she got in touch and look, I'm a brand designer. I want to create you guys a badge because I see you um, using the train station badge. She made us our logo. And then basically, the market inside of it, I was like, okay, how can I make the people care? Because you, you, we can all go and start a football club, but why would the local people want to support us? So I told all the players that play for the team, look, to play for the football club, yeah, you have to go and volunteer. So we started volunteering everywhere. So the players were like, what's this? What's all this about, man? Why are you going to volunteer? But I'm like, guys, look, this team's going to be one of the biggest teams ever. So you guys start volunteering early. You get fans coming to your games and so on. And that's how we started. So we went to... The Hackney Marathon, um, where we was handing out the waters, Abney Park Festival. So we were just going everywhere that anyone needed us. And that built us a rapport. So the local papers started writing about it because it's a bit of an intrigue. Oh, guy comes out of prison, starts a local football team, getting the young people to volunteer. So that was something different and unique. And then London Live done a piece of me. Um, then Copper Night done a piece of me. And through the back of that, that's what started getting us attention and funding. But literally, our first bit of funding, I would literally door knock old school with a bucket. The bucket ain't got no cover. So people are thinking, who's this dodgy guy? I didn't have no low. I didn't have a kit. I just had Door salesman there. Yeah. I was, <laughs> how I'm probably looking now with my hoodie, trousers, <laughs> and you can imagine a black guy knocking on your door and they're thinking, what the hell is this? I'm like, oh, look, I'm supporting a football club. You'd like to donate. People are skeptical. They're like, what's this? Some people are like, you know what? Uh, here's a tenner. Some people close the door. Some people say, let me go and get the checkbook come back with 50 pounds like brilliant and then I'll tell them to follow them and what I always have my phone evidence I'll show them look I'm, I'll show them pictures of me look I'm the football club guy I'm starting out and I'll be honest and I think honesty was always the best policy is that I always told people like, I just come out of prison so it's yeah. a thing that way they would be sceptical they're like actually this guy's been honest he's telling us just come out of prison as well so that people sort of warm to us and then they just grew from there and then well, with, that being said, how, sorry, with that being said how did you like it must be a mentality shift because you must have like dropped your pride. Yeah, you dropped your pride. You know what? I'm gonna knock on people's doors. I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z to get money. Like, like a lot of us will think, no, F that man, that's mad. I'm on it. So what made you say, you know what? Yeah, I'm on it. Listen, basically, it's like, you know what? I tell myself, I've got a daughter. Yeah. I don't want to go back to prison again. And people tell me like, and obviously from people knowing me from picking like, oh mama used to make money. So it's a thing that now where you used to make money and now you're on the streets with a bucket and you're fundraising. People are like, wow, what, what happened for my man? But I said, you know what? 
as humans, we live too much for what people think about us. Because these people are not going to pay my bills. These people, when I'm in trouble, are not going to say, here's here's a tenner. They don't say, here's £20 to help you. So why do, why do I care about their opinions? I know what the long-term vision was. So I'll be knocking on people's door. I went and started doing a night shift. I did a night shift at a bagel factory. Because, like, you know what? I need to grind. And people like, you're going to work in a bagel factory? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go work in a bagel factory. At the end of the day, when my daughter, I only had one daughter at the time, when my daughter wants to go on a school trip, I can be proud and say, oh, look, dad can pay for that. Instead of having to say, oh, you know what? I can't even do that, you know? So I, I, I took away every single sense of shame or pride to say, you know what? What can someone really say about me or, or laugh about me that, okay, he's on the streets fundraising and grinding. That's what I'm doing. I'm not going to, well, you rather that I go and rob someone and sell drugs. That's what gets you street accolades. But I said, fuck that. I ain't going to do that. I'm going to go on and bloody go and do my fundraising and build up from there. Yeah, that's actually mad, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, no, ratings for the mentality shift stuff. Yeah, because, yeah, cause trust me, a lot of people will say, you know what, like, that's all long, because I'm not going to lie, because I'm not going to go knock man's door and then slap me in my face and say, no. That's yeah. <laughs> a lot of rejections, a lot of rejections. So you and know, we've got so many rejections as well. Yeah, we, I mean, we've got so many rejections. Like, I'll, I'll knock on the door, someone will look through the window and just close the curtains. But then I'll say, I'll say, look, we need to get £150 today. So I'll, I'll calculate, maybe I need to knock on 350 doors to get £150. Oh. But when someone gives me £20, okay, I know, okay, that limits how many more doors I need to knock on. So we'll set ourselves a target. And through that, I was very transparent, like, okay, we're going to buy the kit now. We're going to mm. buy the, the football, the equipment. And then, our document because as people say oh you're always on insta you're always on youtube you're always but i was very much in the process of always documenting everything that i was doing with regards to the football club i was saying you know what you have to shout about what you do some people are like oh no be humble don't talk i'm like no no, no. i'm gonna talk about what i do because if i don't talk about it no one's, no one's gonna know no one's gonna know what we're doing so i always spoke about it and that gained more attention and even through fundraising that's how it got me most of my connects and links i'll be outside of a tesco with a bucket someone go past go what are you doing I'm like, oh, I'm raising money for a football club that I've started. Uh, ask for more information. Take my card. Oh, what's this? Oh, the head of Nike. Oh, what's this? Um, someone at BT Sports. What's this? I work at BBC. I work at the lottery. And just through doing that, that's why more times that I know my, my missus and I seen it in jest that I'm going to start charging everyone for these, uh, what do you call it? When it's bigger platforms, I've got agent. My agent actually makes me get peace from these bigger um, um, platforms. But I always say this year. Is check, that, man. Yeah, yeah. I always say, but for everyone if you if, if you got the time and capacity i know i've taken my time with this one but if you've got the time and capacity to do something someone that don't cost you no arm and a leg for you oh. to help someone else help them out help them on their podcast go to their interviews go because the person that's doing it today can tomorrow he can he might own bt he might own the guardian and he'll remember you know what when we had nothing when we was gonna come up that guy helped us so it's always oh. a thing that i always say you know what the universe comes back to you in some ways mm. or, or the other, or how you help people. And even if they can't help you, you know within yourself, you know what? You gave yeah, them bro. guys an opportunity, basically, yeah. Mm. Yo, Bob, you're kind of a motivational speak there, bro. Like, you uh, know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting touched on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you yeah, know yeah, what? Yeah, the yeah, funny yeah, thing yeah. is, the funny thing is my yeah. agent just messaged me yesterday, said I need to do a new video because they get me to, they get me paid to go and speak to corporate uh, companies now as well. So it's all oh, crazy. Well done. Yeah, Are yeah. you doing speeches like for the companies and stuff? Yeah, for oh, corporate yeah. companies, yeah. So yeah, because um yes. my, my agents, North Bank Talent Management, like even the rights in my book, like between us now, like they sold that it's going to be a series on channel four. So there's so much things oh, that's wow. happening, just working, working, working. And that, that all started from you dropping your pride and going out there and doing what you wanted to do instead of what you thought you had to do to impress other people. Yeah, yeah. What is that? Everyone's a, and I, and I think that's what 
help with the success of the YouTube channel because I just tell people how it is, be it yeah. from from guys who um, have arguments with, their, with the, the mothers of their children because they're embarrassed because they can't pay bills or they can't just be honest. As long as you're being honest and you actually try, not just be honest and like, cool, I can't do nothing, just sit down, not do anything. Be honest, look, I can't pay for nothing right now, but I'm looking for a job. Let us see that you're active, that you're actively trying. Be humble. No one cares. At a young age, and I'm trying to teach even the young girls that start giving the nerves a chance because the nerves are the people <laughs> running the world right now. Look mm. at Mark Zuckerberg and then them man run the world right now. They've got all the big yeah, tech yeah, companies, yeah. Bill Gates and so on. Whereas the road man is not in and out of jail. Now you're yeah, pregnant. Yeah. You've got three different baby fathers. It don't make sense. Give the, <laughs> the play, the guys who did, weren't really that cool a chance because they're the clever ones who are going to go and make something out of their lives. Yeah. Whilst you've got this sort of alignment, it's difficult for us normal people to see the way, the way you see it. Mm. Do you think that it's because, well, not to harp on it, but is prison played a big role in, in the way you, you think about things and the way you've you, you're yeah one hundred percent. I think I think most people like I might talk to these kids and they might go, oh, Bobby speaking again, ah, right, cool, whatever, and it might not affect them until they actually go to jail yeah. or until they're in a situation until someone pulls out a knife for them and someone pulls out a gun on them. It could be, oh, this guy's talking again. But some people, some people will take these lessons. I said, oh, you know what? No, what my man's saying is true, you know. I bond this, I'm going to change. Some people are like, oh, you know what? I know how to do what I'm doing. I'm going to be hard-headed. And then when they get the situation, and the amount of messages I get from people every single day, I can't even keep up. It's like, oh, I'm going to court next week. Your, your video helped me with this. You help me, help me with that. But I mean, I'm, all I can do is tell you. It's up to you. You're, you're your own man. I, know, I ain't going to hold a gun to you and say, don't, just don't do that. But prison and gang in there definitely helped me. Now I can give people the experience from that as well. So someone that's just been out of prison who's never sort of thought about it won't think to change anything about them. But even with doing a book called Think Outside the Blocks with my agent, it's about changing mentality and changing mindsets because we're all comfortable in life. We all know what we wanted to do in life and maybe are not doing it. Like you guys got mm. your podcast. I'm sure you guys want to take your podcast to higher heights. And what normally happens, someone will start something, they don't get their views straight away. That's, then, oh, fuck this, my client bothers it. But no, that's where people lack. There's no consi- there's no consistency. Funnily enough, um, my missus, we got something yesterday and like she was searching for some uh, some channel. We couldn't find it, right? And she's like, I'll just leave it. But I'm like, no, no, I'm going to keep looking. It took me another 20 minutes. I found the channel that she wanted, right? And I said, so, see, if I'd quit when you told me to quit, you wouldn't find this channel. Now you found it. So I just told her, that's the lesson in life. Sometimes we all just quit thinking nothing's going to happen because we want it to happen overnight. But things don't happen overnight. You have to grind. You have to keep working. It might take one year, two years, three years, and then you'll get to the point you need to get. Yeah. Just, just a quick backtrack, sir. Um, um, in regards to, obviously, the football club, so you obviously you was knocking doors. So you mentioned we. Who is we? So personally, I started with myself. And then when I recruit the players, it will be me and the players. So I get the players to come on board and they'll stand outside with their buckets with me and they're saying, look, yeah, we're the local football team and then people start recognising us. So we got to the point that we're every week outside of a Tesco and Wall Street, they're like, oh, oh there's the boys from Hackney Wick. Oh, here's a tenner. Here's a five. So they've started to get to know us now. Okay. And what was that feeling when you like, you, you got your first like recruit of a, of a team member, a pool player of your team? How was that feeling? Like, rah, like somebody's joining my team. is actually mad. Like, did you feel like that? I mean, or? yeah, I mean, I think it didn't really hit me at the beginning because I was like, yeah, I'm starting a local team and then people say, I want to come. And at that point, everyone told you they're Ronaldinho, there's Zidane, <laughs> you see them. You're like, oh, Lord. But at the same time, you're not going to turn them away because I was banging on about us being a community club. So everyone had their role. So people think, okay, 
you're not going to really play that much, but you know what? We'll give you like a three minute, five minute on the off the bench whenever we get a chance. So they still felt part of it. So that was the thing at the beginning. And once we got our kits and everything, we actually felt like a team. We felt uniformed and it was amazing. Gary, what did you want to ask again? Yeah, so Bobby, um, obviously you're a proper entrepreneur, you know, and you're a brand. That's fantastic, phenomenal. I mean, that's in you, that's inherent. People are just born that way, aren't they? Um, when you set the football club up, though, did you envisage becoming a brand commercially successful that you're about to become that you are? Or did you just think, you know what, I want to set a football club. Wherever it goes, it goes. I mean... I always knew that I wanted I wanted to become a semi pro club. That's the thing I was saying. Okay, let, let's try and make a semi pro club. In terms of it becoming worldwide known, I didn't realize what happened so quickly. I was hoping for it, but to the point that where we have the likes of Nike, CNN, BT Sports all coming to us has been sort of I'm learning on the job in terms of marketing, in terms of doing the right things. But I never envisaged that we would get to the heights that we got to so quickly, even to become semi-pro. So it's yeah. all happened kind of by, by chance, by hard work, by meeting the right people at the right time, by passion. But yeah, I, I just thought, you know what, we're going to start this club, build up momentum. The borough of Hackney hasn't got its own team. So I thought, you know, we're going to get local people to really galvanise behind this team and maybe put pressure on the council to build us a ground or stadium. That part still hasn't happened and we're still working on that part, yeah. Mm-hmm. So initially, then it was driven by doing something for the community rather than becoming the brand you are. Initially. Yeah, it wasn't about the brand; it's about doing something for the community and having maybe a semi-pro club. But yeah. it's got to the point that now we do so much within our community, and it's yeah. made it grown into a bigger brand. Fantastic! And as I say, you're, you're obviously you know it's clear within speaking to you a couple of minutes that you're an entrepreneur, you know, and, and you would have succeeded at something for other words. Actually, so how do you? translate the community football club into a commercial entity? So that's always been the difficult part because, like I said, we're always trying to open football for all. I mean, we've had times where we've done a, a, a training session for people who are suffering from mental health. We've had people, we've, we've had uh, doing football for guys with disabilities and so on. But yeah. because the fund has not always been there, we've not always been able to sort of continue with it. Fundamentally, we know our attraction is the young people want to come and play semi-pro at the highest level and that's always our bread and butter. But we also have to make sure that we do things with our community and how we sort of balance that is that, you know what, we still continue. If you play for the football club, you have to subscribe to some form of volunteering. We might need you to go and go to a local school and help in the community. We might need you to run a few sessions for uh, local organisations on the house because that's you volunteering. So that's how we do the whole community thing and uh, attend. The, I guess the commercial side of it and with the commercial side of it is I guess what's really telling it's my story but I want to take it away from my story because we're going to get tired of the, the story of the guy who came out of prison and started this football club although there's going to be a series based around it but I want to get to the point where the club is recognised for the work it does now compared to what my story is so yes this is a semi-professional football club where they go into prisons and they play matches against um, other inmates we do our 32 Borough Cup where we get used from every single borough in London to play like in a World Cup system we do the hood-to-hood matches where we encourage teams from different neighbourhoods to come together and play in matches. So I want the club to be known for its own brand per se, more so than, oh, this is that guy who started that football team. Yeah, fantastic. Um, how did you get representation? In regards to um, my agent? Yeah. Oh, so basically, um, because of everything I was doing and I guess tackling youth violence and 
talking and giving different kids um, opportunities and so on. I was getting invited to a lot of things. So whenever there was a knife crime epidemic that was happening, especially between 2018 and 19 and so on, yeah. I would usually get a call from um, the BT Sports, BBC, CNN, Sky, and say, look, we want to speak to you about what you're doing over there. And Channel 5 called for me to go on a live debate show. And when I was a live debate show, that's where I met my agent. He saw me speak and he's like, you know what? He's very interested. And at that point, I was actually pitching to him about doing a um, a football league for um, a YouTube football league um, with all the different uh, YouTube teams that like Arsenal Fan TV, um, oh. Hashtag United and so on. In the end, I put them all in a group chat and then Arsenal Fan TV said, look, we're really interested in it. And then we made a Blood Brothers League. So that was one of my creations, the Blood Brothers League. And that's how my agent came on board and said, look, I want to represent you. And then we worked ever since. That's fantastic. I can see it as a, I mean, I've, I've repeated myself twice, but you just ooze passion about it, ooze entrepreneurial flair and ideas. So it's a no-brainer, really. The agent was a genius spotting you, you know. <laughs> Pretty easy. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, on, so how how has social media impacted the football club? Because I don't know if you love see there's SE Dons, there's like Lambeth, that Lambeth team as well. So it seems like YouTube and social media is now like so embedded in football and it's helping grassroots clubs like yourself and other teams as well. And like we we've been quite late in regards to the whole YouTube thing, because um I guess I had a bit of a a delegation problem. Sometimes I want to delegate and people want to do the things right. I'm like, oh my God, like he's messed it all up. So with the YouTube and when all, all the teams, because even Hashtag United, before there was even a thing, Spence, um, who runs Hashtag, he used to work for Copa 90 and he actually interviewed me when I started the football club in 2015. And then he went on to create Hashtag United and they've become sort of a phenomenon and they've got like sponsorship from football manager who are based in Hackney Wick as well and they actually played in our league and got promoted. And that they're a bonafide semi-pro team now. So that shows the power of um, YouTube because he was someone that was really known already. And it, from his personality, it helped build that platform. Then SE Dons, Baytees. And when I saw all this happening, I was like, guys, let's all come together and create a league. But like I said, we've done it with Arsenal Fan TV instead of with Blood Brothers League. And through the back of that, I was like, you know what? We're actually sleeping here in regards to... I know we, we, we kind of get more recognition globally in regards to having the likes of night come and do a kit with us, having the CNNs, having the, um, what do you call it, uh, being sports coming to see us and so on. But I think we relied too much on that. I didn't realise, you know what, the commercial capacity we had ourselves via YouTube because now that I start my own YouTube channel, I'm just under 50K subscribers. Um, I think I'm like just over 200 subscribers left to hit 50K. I realised the financial implements that comes with that in regards to having... Uh, revenue streams from your YouTube channel. So that's something that we're really trying to push now. But what it has done is allowed the everyday man to now have a bit of fame because whereas we couldn't make it as a, as a player, the likes of your real friends and all that are known. But you could be the best player ever. Now you're a milkman. Let's tell that story. Let's tell the story of the milkman who plays Sunday league and he scores the goals every day and you see his skills. So now you become a star in your own right because you missed out on, the, on actually achieving it. And also... Even that like the professional players are now watching these shows as well. I know Declan Rice and people are big fans of SE Dons. Rio Ferdinand's gone to a few different games. I mean, I do my charity football matches as well, which has gone viral a few occasions. So social media plays a massive uh, part in not just professional football, but I think more so now non-league players and sort of Sunday league teams. Fantastic. Can I ask you one one um, other question? Or maybe more, but before Charles jumps back in. <laughs> yeah, go on. So when... when... 
when you were 13, 14, um, and the kids saw the fast route to money being drugs or guns or robbery, do you think now the kids that are coming into um, your football club see, you know what, football through media, YouTube, is a fast route to money as well. I don't need to go the crime route now to make fast money. I can go to Hackney Wick and make money commercially by coming up with a good idea. Do you think that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's what um, that's what our motto is called: think outside the blocks. Really? So we want the kids. So what was that? Sorry. Yeah, I love it. I love the way it's, the whole thing segued round. Yeah. So yeah. we 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 just say, look, you can come to our football club. We're not promising you you're gonna be a Premier League player, let alone get professional contracts anywhere. But what we say, come to us and let us try to help you achieve that goal. However, while you're here, let us know what else you're into. Is it music? Is it drama? Is it um, acting? Is it graphic design? Oh, you want to be an engineer? Okay, cool. Let's call up some engineering companies. All right, guys, can you give Paul two weeks um, work experience as an engineer? Let me just follow someone. If he has to make the tease, let him make the tease. So just trying to build that gap so people are opening their horizons and say, look, there are ways to make money legitimately. So they don't always have to go through the crime route. So we're saying, don't just come to a football club to try and make it pro. Come to a football club for job opportunities, for employment abilities, for, for qualifications, for courses. So that's how we try to target the, the, the young youth and say, look, if you also mix with um, our club, you might get to meet some of your favourite players, some of your favourite artists, because we work with a lot of artists who actually work as mentors with our football club. So you might say, okay, you know what? Oh, your favourite rapper is Joe Black. All right, you know what? I'm actually good friends with Joe Black. Joe Black, look, can you give this guy advice and so on? And funnily enough, Joe Black actually works as a scout at Arsenal now. So there's similar things that where football, music, acting, fashion is all sort of coming under one. And we're trying to tell these kids there's so much more than just being a footballer. There's so Even if you can't be a footballer, referees get paid so much money. Learn to be a referee. FA level one, whatever courses. But even to be a referee, you can do five or six um, games in a weekend and earn yourself nearly £200, £300 just for the weekend. So it's about teaching them different mindsets. You call a referee. I don't know no one who says I'm going to be a referee. Though. That's a mad one. <laughs> you do that on the side. Yeah, that's, 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 that's not, that's not that's something you do. That's, that's the thing though. So there's some players who are not so good. So like I said, when we've got players who come to us who are not so good, we might tell them, you know what? Are you thought about becoming a referee? You might be good at that because they've got yeah. different skill sets. Bobby, just, 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 Bobby, just, hold on. Hold um, on. What's your five to ten year plan for the club? So we just celebrated five years this year. So this year was five years since I've been out since we started the football club. In the next five years, I just want the club to be more sustainable in regards to having... I mean, we're starting to build up that fan base. Like, And funnily enough, like, I want to get our own ground, our own stadium. And funny things have happened, which means now our home ground is actually in Whitton, near Colchester. That's where our home ground is right now. Wow. Colchester? Wow. Whitton, Whitton. Oh. Yeah, we're near Col- yeah, we're near Colchester basically. That's mad. So but what has happened through the back of that is that the local people of Whitham, when their team is playing away, they don't travel to their teams away, they actually come to our matches. So now we're starting to get a little bit of revenue through the local people of Whitham and we become like almost like their second team. They support us, they're coming to all of our games. So in essence, it's like raw. That's kind of mad, but we want that same thing to happen in the bar of Hackney, where we've got our own ground and stadium. The local people of Hackney are starting to come because people are starting to buy our merchandise, our jerseys. So we're going to become the brand 
the, the football brand that's like that known for non-league. Because like I said, the SE Dons, the Bay Tees and all that are known for what, what they do in regards to Sunday League. But I think even with them, they have ambitions to now change that up. Because SE Dons right now, if they become a semi-pro club, they'll make crazy revenue just because of the people that come to their matches. Because they don't charge, it's just free. But they'll make crazy revenue. They'll be able to climb up the league really quickly. So those are the sort of things that we're looking for. Is that okay? Instead of us just relying on sponsorships and funding, can we now create our own revenue streams through fan base, through selling merchandise? I mean, our kit sold out worldwide, and we've got a new kit coming out soon. But ultimately, the ten-year plan was: can Hackney get their own stadium or their own ground? You mentioned regarding the the, the kit. Obviously, you guys are sponsored by Nike. How did that all come about? Because that's absolutely crazy to think a Sunday League club is actually sponsored by Nike. That's not heard of. So- so I let me just correct you there. We're not actually a Sunday League club. We're actually. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Hey, sorry. We're not talking about. Do your research, mate. SE Dons. My bad. My bad. My bad. Semi pro. That's all SE Dons and Baytees and them, man. Little fish. But yeah, um, it came about. Funnily enough, there was a guy who reached out to me, um, um, called Mark. He works at a company called Hey Big Man, where he's sort of um, he's sort of brand development, graphic designer, and so on. And he wanted to create a new league in his local area. Me and him met, and he got in touch with me because someone from Nike in the US told him, "Oh, have you heard of Hackney Football Club?" And then when I met him, um, he said, "Oh, the guy Pete Pete Hoppins, who's sort of the lead um, head designer of Nike jerseys, and he's British from I think originally from Liverpool. I can't remember, but he lives in the States. But he was coming down to the UK, and he wanted me to." Um, go and meet him and this was for the launch of the Nigeria and England kit in the 2018 World Cup so I went there had a great time they went out for drinks and then he's like look we should create a, 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 a kit for Hackney Wick of Seacole what you guys do is amazing I'm like oh that's brilliant if it happens it happens and I told him about the 32 the United against Knife Crime match first if we can do a kit for that it didn't materialise and then they got back in touch and look we want to do something I'm like yeah you guys don't sit from over there in the States come over to the UK they came over, done a workshop with our youth for three weeks. The kids created different kits and then they went off to go and design it. And then, yeah, it just went, they put it on all their channels and it just, it went crazy. It went crazy. And they've been supporting us and sponsoring us ever since. Let's talk about your, your personal sort of achievements. Yeah. Um, I know you've won a couple of awards, um, Proud of Burn Award. Um, I think there was another one. I can't remember the name. And and you've met sort of Sadiq Khan and things like that. How does um, that sort of achievement sort of resonate with you? Is it surreal? And how, does it serve as a motivation going forward? I mean, yeah, for, for me, it's been crazy in regards to, like, just sitting back. With, wait a minute, I was in prison. Like, what am I doing meeting Sadiq Khan? Why is he coming to my football club of all clubs? Like, I got invited to Downing Street and I'm sitting there and they've got me on a panel, me, Ratman, and Jamal Edwards for us to talk to all the kids. And I'm sitting there, three of us on the, on the stage. I'm like, have they got the right person? Because Jamal <laughs> Edwards runs SBTV. He's a millionaire now. Ratman, signed to Jay-Z and uh, what do you call it? Just done oh, Blue yeah. Story. Yeah. And then you got me just coming out of prison with a football club. Like, what the hell? And that, those moments then and, and it took us on a on a private part to go and meet Theresa May, who was the um, prime minister at the time. And then obviously I see Spence, Spence was in there as well. 
I started with the guy from Peckham. I like your weedy in there, sort of thing. So for me, that was a surreal moment. It was crazy. Like I'm actually in Downing Street. This this is where the they make all the decisions, and I just come out of prison, and they've got me here. It just felt it felt mad. So even like when I won the uh, Pride of Britain um, award, it was like they surprised me on BT Sports on national TV. They lied to me and said, "Oh, yo, come um, to take part in this competition." And then while I'm playing rugby, Fat Savage, he's like, "Oh, yo, by the way, you've actually won this." Um, the Daily Mirror's Pride of Sports Award. So, like, those things there, I, I take pride in them, but I, I'm also humble with them because I said, it's not just me. There's a team behind every, everything that I do. So I always, like, push for my team members to also get accolade. I might be the face, man, at the moment, but there's people that work tirelessly behind the scenes to help us with all these things as well. So the awards are not just for me, but for every volunteer who takes part too. Mm. How was the, the transition, I'm saying, how was the transition from... Sega, how was the transition from obviously not being a public eye to now being a public eye? Do you see when you go to the, for example, BT Sports or when you go to um, CNN, do you have your guard up? Are you a bit cautious or are you just yourself? No, I'm just myself. I think I've got used to it. I mean, the first interview I ever done was for London Live. And if you see that interview, you can see why I was sweating like crazy. So that was the first interview I ever done. But since then, since then, since then, things have been um, much easier. And, um, yeah, I'm just used to it. So, apologies, guys. My daughter just come into the room after her bath. Oh, it's cold. No so, yeah. So, right, go to mommy, please. That's another question. How is it balancing um, family life and um, the football club? Can you repeat that, please? How is it ba- balancing family life and the football club? As you can see, it's pretty difficult. Um, <laughs> here, that's all right. No, 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 no. No! <laughs> uh, 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 I'm gonna try to go to another room. So one moment, please. I'm coming, sir. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming, sir. I'm coming. I'm coming. Supposed to be on the pod, man. Wait, one, Bobby. Um, this this three 0 loss to Robbie Savage on the football table tennis. <laughs> Talk, 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 talk it through it. <laughs> ah, you, you, you know what? I didn't. Um, I mean, he plays it every single week, so <laughs> he's, he's used to it. And you, you have to get used to the bounce. Off. You have to get used to the bounce of the ball because you think it will come a certain way, and then it bounces different ways. So, had I had more time to practice, I would have beaten him. To be fair. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. So um, yeah. So so. So Bob, so um, so this is I think for more somebody who's Bob times two, two point oh sorry, a guy's coming out of prison now. Um, he loves football, and he wants to start a uh, um a football club. Wait, hold on, hold on, wait one second. We let's stop them before they even go to prison. Let's get them before that even happens. No, but, that, but that is a common. No, that's a common scenario. It is what it is. You know what I mean? It is what it is. So I'm not saying it's that is the norm, but yeah, it is yeah, no, no, I'm just saying. Let's try hit for everybody, not just the guys that have, the guys even before they turn down that road. Let's aim fair point. Fair point. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. I think the question was that um, how would I stop someone from going to jail in the first place? And also, I guess once they are in jail, what what's the sort of thing they can do when they come out? So no, I mean, the question, the question was um, regarding the first part, but the question was once you create your own football club, is there something? Is this a lifestyle where you can sustain yourself and be at like, cool? I don't need to go back in that lifestyle no more. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> because <laughs> you're going to have to either have another job as well to keep yourself going because it costs about 
15 to 25,000 pounds a year just to run a semi-pro club. So when your first bit of money comes, that goes all to the club. So you people earn about 30,000 pounds a year. So that, you're going to have to have, find some form of other income. And I guess how we sort of done is that when we apply for our grant, apply for our funding and so on, we make sure the money that we get goes in the football club, but through our sponsorship deals where we might take a salary, I'll uh, uh, say, so, and like I said, I do other things, as you guys know. I've got the YouTube channel. I run uh, Bob's Tabber. I do my, my, my catering business. So don't think going into this, um, trying to start a football club, that you're going to make money from it because you're actually going to be end up spending money. So it's a thing that way. It's, it's not for the faint-hearted. It's not, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme because you'll be, as you can see, I'm losing my hair. I'm losing my hair. So, so it's, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. Uh, if personally I'd advise against it because you'll be spending more money and have more headache <laughs> if you're passionate and you think you can really um, do something go ahead and try man 100% bro. and I also hey, Gary didn't you start a football club as well Gary you hearing that <laughs> yeah I have and that's why we're so small Addy because I've resisted putting my own money into it <laughs> <laughs> But Bobby, what was what was you gonna answer when you asked um when you thought the question was how would you stop someone going to jail? Yeah, so I said that I mean it's just about le- learning to stop people from going to jail is basically like see from other people's experiences that like, no one sells drugs forever, no one's on the roads forever. People die, people go to prison, and people become broke, people become drug addicts. So that lifestyle doesn't last. So think about it, learn from my experience, learn from other people's experience that you know, and don't just think this is the easy route because Going to do this crime always has its consequences. Or you might do something to someone today, you think they've forgotten them. 20 years later, they come back for you. There's an incident where I'm not going to mention um, names, where there's a guy who's sort of renowned, is really known in, 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 in a certain area. And he came out of prison and transformed himself. But then someone who he had done something to 20 years ago said, I ain't forgotten that. And that might, the other guy is killed now. He's dead now. So people have to understand that some of these street stuff doesn't even leave sometimes. You might do something when you're 15, 16. Someone at 36 catches you and say, oh, that's that guy. So it's learn from the consequences that come with it and look for the opportunities. Think outside the blocks. Now, if you come out of prison, you kind of understand now what you've just gone through, just being caught. And there's a saying quit while you're ahead is not the same as quitting. I got that from American Gangster. <laughs> so <laughs> while, while you're ahead, while you're ahead, you can just knock it on the head and try to do something else. But also, if you don't change, um, so if you keep doing what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. So if you're thinking, I'm going to keep doing this, I'm going to keep doing this, I'm going to keep doing this, expecting some form of change, you're not going to change. You have to change your mindset. Because if you do robberies, you get caught, you come out and keep doing robberies again, you're going to get caught again. It don't take, it's not rocket science, but if you say, okay, I'm going to come out and not do robbery and do something else, you've got a different mindset, you've got a different lifestyle to live as well. So it is difficult. I know, uh, here's the player, guys. What's going on, mate? Yeah, I'm on. You got the kit there, yeah? <laughs> All right, give, give, me, give, me, give me five minutes. Give me five minutes. I'm just, I'm just finishing this podcast. Give me five minutes. Bobby, yeah. you're a bad man, you know. You made my wait for all an hour for his money. <laughs> nah, you know what? He's had this kit. Remember, we, we've got brand new kits at the beginning of the season, right? And he wore the number nine. And then the number nine shoes were missing. So I'd be asking, where's his number nine shoes? His number nine shoes missing forever. All of a sudden, they won the Blood Brothers uh, League. Money has to get paid. I'm like, well, this is going to get me tactic because I ain't got the shoes. The shoes have been found now. <laughs> sleeping in them. The body. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So. What's yeah. the hardest thing about running a football club, Bobby? Financially, like I said, um, having funding to run the football club, 
um, get into matches sometime as well. The transport, because you always have to hire a minibus sometimes you can't get the minibus and getting 16 players to a game on time. Um, setting up the hospitality. Match days are pretty hard because you need to volunteer someone to be at the gates. You have to provide a match programme. There's all sorts of things that goes with running a football club that's difficult. The easy part is making it look good. But the hard part is grafting and grafting behind the scenes because every week, say you've got two games in a week, both home on Tuesday night, you need to get all your staff over to, especially for where we are now, you have to get them over to Whitton in the middle of the night to go and try and set up the matches and so on. Then on a Saturday, doing the same thing again, it's difficult. And then also keeping people happy. We've got a squad of about 28 players. Only 16 players can be chosen the squad. And from that, only 11 can start. Only three can come on. We get yeah. players who are disgruntled. I mean, he's one of them. I think he's been disgruntled. We ain't seen him for like a month. He said he was ill. I think because <laughs> he wasn't getting game time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he took the shorts. We want to bring him in. Bring him into the car. We want to talk to him. No. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Oh, no. <laughs> bring him in, Chad. Come, don't admit, don't admit. So he was our top goal scorer last season, but he ain't really final all cylinders this season. <laughs> well, they no, said they said the shorts. <laughs> so where were they all this time? Uh, basically, you know what else? I figure after the game we lost, yeah. I thought I, I, I jumped, I cut my butt and my thing. But you know these shorts have always you always had them then. No, I didn't know. I so how can you just find them? When you got home, you'd have taken them off. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, as I said, when we won the Blood Brothers League and because he hasn't got his money, all of a sudden, now the shoots have been found. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, where are the shoots? Where are the shoots? Oh, there we go. There we go. They're back now. The number nine shoots. So, we're not being able to wear our number nine jersey because of this situation. But, yeah, so we're nearly done. I'm nearly done. I swear. Yeah. So, just, just to wrap up quickly. So, just to wrap up, say, yeah. 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 Uh, quick two questions, yeah. How has the pandemic and pandemic so affected you guys? Oh, that's killed us, man. Especially just morale and mentality and mental health because just being at home, stuck, in at, stuck at home. Like, you have issues like that when your daughter's running around, you're trying to work. So it's, it's difficult, especially with the players as well. They just want to play football. Their parents need respite. Not just the adult team, but also the young players as well. And also the services that we provide for them. It's not just football, like I said. We provide workshops on gangs and peer pressure, training, TV workshops we can't do any of those things you can try to build stuff online but it's not the same as having them physically there so it's, it's kind of um, broke about the harmony that we have at the football club it's about trying to keep our players in check and trying to keep them sane because some of them have lost jobs some of them like oh look is there any jobs can we get any jobs and we can't provide them with jobs and it, and it, it, it kills us that we can't help them okay that's crazy and, uh, and just to uh, and just before we wrap up so what would I do quickly the quick fire uh, round of random questions and get your yeah. response. But first, first off, I heard you're a glory hunter. You support Blackburn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. when they won the league. Oh, that's a great, great. <laughs> wait, wait. What's a Blackburn doing supporting Blackburn? <laughs> no, 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 I forgot no, about no, that. No, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the truth, yeah. And Gervais can corroborate this because <laughs> the year we won the league, I had my Alan Shearer jersey, and me and my brother were watching the game. He had his Paul Ince jersey. Was you support Man United? I support, and we was there. So I would have supported Blackman before won the league. So that is my proof of why I supported him beforehand. But what happened was, I wanted to support Man United, right? I was seven or eight years old. My older brother supported Man United. The one ahead of me, Carly, he supported Arsenal. But I liked Man United, the team near the top. So I was a glory hunt for Man United, right? My older brother said, no, 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 no. You can't support the same team as me. You need to find your own team. So I looked at the team that was seven. And the team that was second was Blackburn. And I'm like, cool, I support Blackburn. And the following year, we won the league. So, 
I stuck with him. No glory hunting. No glory hunting. <laughs> All right, cool. So, quick one. Um, Messi or Ronaldo? Ronaldo. Why? Oh, wow. Oh. Um, the second person said Ronaldo. Last time was Femi Gag. Femi said Ronaldo as well. So, it's two notes. Because Messi, Messi is naturally gifted. I knew you were going to say the hard work uh, argument. Not just the hard work. <laughs> not just the hard work. When it counts, Ronaldo steps up. Like Messi, Messi has to do it for Argentina. If you don't do it for Argentina, it don't count for me. And see, and, and also Ronaldo has gone elsewhere. Man United, um, um, Real Madrid, and Juventus. Messi's had an easy life at uh, La Liga for mm. twenty years or so. He needs to go and play elsewhere for me to give him, and also to do something with Argentina. Okay. Who was your footballing idol growing up? Uh, Paul Scholes and Zidane. <clears throat> you never heard Paul Scholes? That's actually that's actually interesting. Never heard that. Baller. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And um, can an African team win the World Cup? It's coming, man. It's coming. I mean, I think the best chance that we had was. In the, in, the, in, the mid, in, in the mid in the mid two in the late 2000s I think we've kind of gone backwards to be fair some of our teams have gone backwards I mean we had the likes of the, the Jogbas the Etos I mean Mane and Salah are doing it now but we ain't got that sort of world star that we used to when we had these big like giants of a player mm. yeah iconic I mean Mane and Salah make a name for themselves whether or not though they can carry their teams I don't think Mane can carry Mane is it Mane he plays for? No, Senegal. Senegal. Yeah, Senegal. So, yeah, so I don't think he can he can really carry them. Uh, I mean, Congo, if all the bloody players who were meant to play for Congo <laughs> played for Congo, we would have won it. I mean, we had um, bloody Vincent Company, Lukaku. Uh, ben- I was about to say Benteke, but nah, no, <laughs> I say Benteke. <laughs> like, we've had so many players who could play for um, Congo who chose not to. Juan Bissaka trying to play for England. He might as well allow it because <laughs> <laughs> he's got Kieran He's got Kieran choice. Carl right, um, Walker, Kieran Trippier, um, Reese James, Trent. Trent. Yeah, he might as well just go and sign for Congo and allow it. So, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, I think we can do it. I don't, I don't think in the, in the next yeah. four years or so, but give it another ten years or so, we can start developing. All right, cool. Yeah. And Gary, Charles, and Ron, any, any quick fire questions? Uh, no, not for me. Oh, have you got any kids at your club you think are going to be superstars? In, I was going to ask that. Yeah. We've got a kid. We've got a kid. His name is Luizon, right? So, he got signed by Tottenham and he scored against Man City. He scored in his debut and so on. He played again. And he was 15 at the, 14 at the time, playing for a year above. He got injured and then they released him. And oh. then, um, there's a situation where Arsenal was, they, they contacted me this year. Arsenal contacted me this year. But what happened, he was injured and nothing materialised. Now, our head coach um, at, my, uh, at Hackney Wick Football Club, he's actually a scout at Crystal Palace. And Chris Palace recently put out a thing that where you can recommend players. So I'm trying to recommend him over there. But if you guys got any contact, I think this kid is amazing. I actually, I shouldn't have done it, but I remember when he was 14 or 13, I made him play a Sunday league team with some of the adults. And he's got a hat-trick. This kid yeah. is, 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 is crazy. How old, how, old, yeah. how old is he now? He's 15. He's in year 11. He's in year 11. Hey, Gary, do you... Man, crazy. Hey, Gary. Hey, Gary. We want our commission, Gary. No ball gets commission, eh? <laughs> You're so Nigerian, fam. Why are you doing money? <laughs> would he consider moving up to Birmingham to play for Aston Villa? He, he, would, he would love it. I mean, his mum... His mom, his, the funny thing, when he got signed to Tottenham, his mum kept it quiet. She didn't want no one to know, I guess, African sort of 
mentality is that oh you know what voodoo and so on and so on. But I'm like, so I remember, I remember, I said, oh shout out to our player Louis Zoe, he's made it to 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 Tottenham. And he's like, no, take that post down, take that post down. So and then what's transpired? Like he said, he got he got a release. But like I said, Arsenal contacted me, and there's the head of coaching at Arsenal contacted me and said, oh you know what? Because something happened where a coach went there and he didn't inform the right people he was coming and so on, and they just called me to apologize and told me who they came to watch. But he was injured at the time, so he didn't get a chance to play. So I think he's a brilliant player. He's 15 years old. He's in year 11. He would definitely consider going to Aston Villa, 100%. Yeah. He's left-footed. He's right-footed. But when I tell you, this kid, like, I'm not joking. He's stocky. He's strong. And like I said, he scored a hat-trick against men. But he's yeah. short, though. He's not like when you think, oh, this, how old is this guy, really? You can tell he's a young kid. His older yeah. brother is two years older than me. And you can, I, I've known him since he was, like, 12. But he just he's got like his legs look like they're made out of bricks or tree trunks. <laughs> it's crazy. I guess I, I guess Gary will we'll create that hookup and you yeah, guys yeah. can discuss that, yeah? Yeah, please, please. I mean, that's the whole thing with the football club. We're trying to push our best young players and give them that chance, give them an opportunity. Like I said, personally, I want to keep playing myself, but I will tell myself that I've had my chance. It's all about giving a user a chance, giving them a chance to change their lives, basically. And what am I doing still trying to play football? Although on the 5th of December, I'm playing that match. The final glory. What was that, Gary? I'm not sure I could take you up to Villa, Bobby, after watching the table tennis game again. <laughs> <laughs> but if you keep watching hard, there's always a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cool. Well, guys, big up yourself, man. It's been a very good conversation, man. And I just want to say that like, we're, we're very proud of you from a local guy from Peckham, man. You did your thing, man. Your inspiration to everyone, man. Oh, man. Tremendous. I think this is the best pod we've done, boys. Yeah. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much, man. Love that. Yeah, sorry for all the interruptions as well. I hope it adds a bit of drama. And, and that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes it that a bit more interesting. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, guys, no ball games podcasts. Hopefully back very soon. Thank you everyone for joining us. Pick up yourself, man. Love, love, love. I love. I appreciate it. See you later, guys. See you. Bye.